Welcome back. I'm here with Ryan Stacy, a private paranormal and UFO investigator. Ryan, welcome. Thank you. Hello. So to, to kind of just get started, can you talk a little bit about how you got into this business? Well, I'm a licensed private investigator. I own and operate a, a company called Blacklight Investigative and Surveillance Services in Ontario, Canada. When I started that business, I, I had an interest in the paranormal beforehand. So I've always did the paranormal investigations as a kid growing up and all these other things like Dex files and whatnot. But when, when I created my business, I had this idea of using the investigation skills to continue investigating uh, the paranormal. So I called, uh, I had a division called Blacklight Uncharted. And I semi-marketed that at the beginning, part of my original marketing plan to get in to do some things. Then eventually I came across a request for a client who believed that their son had been abducted by aliens. And I took the retainer, I interviewed, did all those things. Then when I did my investigation, I ended up learning that the, the son wasn't abducted by aliens. He just joined Scientology. So long story short, I located the individual, made the client happy. But in order to do that, I had to join these social media groups and these subculture areas until they surfaced, until asked questions and probe, until this individual came up to get to try to get an idea of how to do that. So after that case was done, I stayed in these groups because I had an interest in it. And then somebody else had uh, a complaint about not receiving a manual from an American company and being a fraud. So I piped up and said, hey, I'm a licensed investigator because I'm still looking for clients, right? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. How can I help you have that conversation? So it turns out that the manual they were talking about is the field investigative manual from the Mutual UFO Network. So MUFON. So I followed those leads, went to MUFON headquarters, realized that there's a Canadian division, which I didn't know because I got redirected to Canada. So then I talked to an individual named Stu Bundy and I learned that, okay, no, the, the customer is just complaining about a shipping issue because... It's a Canadian purchase, but it comes from America. So it's a little bit delayed. So, okay, no problem. So, you know, I mediate that and the guy's happy. But then now I'm in this UFO ring and, and Stu says to me, she's like, so you're an investigator for real? And he's like, yeah. And uh, he's like, so what do you think about UFOs? And I said, aren't those like just secret government machines? And we had a laugh about that. And then he asked, he said, if he gave me the manual and didn't charge me for it, if I would consider volunteering. And then I said, sure, no problem. I looked into it. It was like an easy, easy course to do when I did it. And then, then I was stuck with MUFON from 2015 to 2018, eventually. I got into the UFO circuit. Then I became independent. And there's a big story behind all that. But that I'm just skipping <laughs> to, the, to the side. side yeah. Yeah. So, I was the, so my career with MUFON was just a regular field investigator. And then I moved up to the National Chief Investigator for MUFON Canada. And then I became the director of field investigating training for MUFON National. So I was responsible for teaching everyone within MUFON how to investigate UFOs and update the manuals and do all that other stuff because of my background in investigations. And then I eventually got removed from the organization because I started to realize that behind the scenes and uh, there was some criminal activity in place. And because I was aware of it, I had obligations to report it. And by reporting it, it made a lot of people upset and therefore forced me out. And when I got forced out, I created the Experience Support Association. So along the way of that, some people don't know, part of MUFON has what's called an Experience Research Team or the Abduction Research Group is what it used to be, ARG. I can't remember. So I was heavily involved with the abduction phenomenon because that to me 
I was working with the people and the way that it affected them. And I started to see some parallels between the way they describe their captors. And without these labels, I started to see some characteristics between the paranormal shadow figure and extraterrestrial contact because of the way they were described. They were sleeping. There's a sleep paralysis, which could be paranormal, but then there it also could be uh, technology that's used, right, on the science side. They appeared to be black and they had these shapes, but like all these things that look differently, but you couldn't tell that they couldn't see it because they were affected by this EMP pulse or they were affected by the sleep paralysis. So I started to realize that the experiencer in, in both spectrums may be having a UFO or paranormal experience simultaneously, just a little bit confused about how to process it because of the way that they've been separated from the get-go. And once I started to bring all the pieces together, I started to really dive into that. So when I left MUFON, I really didn't have an outlet to, to continue my work. And I had a personal experience that kind of gave me the idea around that. And I created the Experiential Support Association with the focus on studying the people, how they're affected by the phenomenon and providing them resources and support to at least acknowledge it or talk about it. And then at the same time, privately connect them to the right people to help them live with it. And that comes from my background in security and I'm used to triaging or dealing with de-escalating complaints before investigating. So transferable skills. Now you talked about investigating UFO phenomena, abductions, experiencers, et cetera. What about the paranormal side? I know there's some overlap in those investigations. Do you other investigations that are outside of that realm? Well, to me, paranormal is everything. So the word paranormal simply means not normal. So technicality, when you look at the root of the word, the etymology of the word UFOs and is technically paranormal because it's not normal to have extraterrestrial craft flying in and out of our place. If that is indeed what the explanation is for it, if it's human, secret black budget programs, office, you know, government run, all that other stuff, human in nature, then it wouldn't be paranormal. It'd just be, it's just unknown. It's classified as secret. So if you apply that extraterrestrial element to it, then it's under the paranormal bracket. So this paranormal group, as it's been communicated over the years, then you get into consciousness. So like that's parapsychology, but still within the paranormal side, the science part of studying the mind, the apparition part or the, the ghost part for me, could be cause and effect of the host or the human being trying to comprehend whether or not they are viewing this other place. So whether that is an interdimension from the interdimensional hypothesis, that at the same time, there's that psychic development with the parapsychology where we may have evolved and we as human beings have the ability to use our minds to get to these places and manipulate these things. So eventually this paranormal becomes normal when you look at evolution. So when you break it down into that respect, like to me, it's the same thing. It's kind of hard to break it all apart because it's not complicated to think that they're connected. If you look at the person as being the common denominator, because the person has this experience, how they have this experience is what varies right? So they could be able to take a picture or they might see it in their mind. If they don't see, if they see it in their mind, nine times out of 10, it's not credible according to the people that need it to 
make money off of it or profit off of it. But to the experiencer, it's real. Uh, you have memories of things all the time. When you work with the people going back and forth, the possibilities of this being UFO or this being extraterrestrial or this being paranormal, we kind of land in the middle where it could be suggested that perhaps contact with extraterrestrials started at an earlier age. And then through their walks of life, paranormal activity starts to happen. Then you get into their teenage years, you get that poltergeist phenomenon, but realizing that it may be actually you doing it because you are evolving and puberty, all those other elements that are there. And then you get into your midlife where you're all of a sudden doing tarot cards and Reiki master, all this other stuff. And then in your final days, you're reading tea leaves and you're ready to go full blown psychic. And so when I investigate the experiencers, I get them to report every single experience that they have ever had in all the spectrums. And, and when I isolate every investigation, remove the ones that are identified and look at the ones that do that timeline. And that's when I start to see this pattern of what could be evolution. So to connect everything together, maybe Roswell happened or even further back, a whole bunch of things happened. They're contacting, they've manipulated us and they haven't done anything for a while. And what we're experiencing now, 80 years later, is the evolution of the change. And now we're becoming more spiritual, more able to do all these things. But the issue with that is we don't have any guidance. We don't have any regulation. We don't have any confirmation. We're just doing it on our own with the intention of trying to spread light in the world. That's where you get those light workers coming in with the, these, these things, right? So that's like an, a sociological evolution of the paranormal as well, but not reinforced by fact, because we still don't have answers from our government to confirm that's the way it is, right? Over the course of your career in this field, roughly how many investigations have you done? And of those investigations, what percentage of them would you say are either people who are just you know, kind of criminal activity where they're trying to defraud somebody or people who have mental issues? And what percentage are people who absolutely believe what happened to them happened to them? And then within that subset, how often do you find actual physical evidence? Okay, I made a list there. There was a lot, a lot of questions. So yeah, so, yeah, I tried to, I tried to handle it all at once. I didn't want to surprise so, so you. Overall cases that I've investigated before I left MUFON, I, it was close to twelve hundred cases, open and closed. I've since put out. With Tessa, I'm into year five now. Every year on average, there's about 400, 400 cases, so four, eight, 16 plus 12. So what's my math there? 2,800 cases in the last seven years that I've opened and then closed. So to get the exact percentage, I have reports that I do. I do annual reports that I'm working on, so I don't have the exact numbers, but and to touch on the criminology point, the reports that come in are from the experiencer. So there's usually not a crime really present in that moment, unless you look at the idea of someone being in the room when their door is locked and they're home alone and that's trespassing, there's a crime. So if that's a human being, my lab or anything, or K-Ultra or Men in Black, anything in those scenarios, 
So, you know, so there's a criminal offense there. They get physically taken, abductions, whether it's alien or people, it's still a crime. So there would be, if you consider that a crime, then I could measure it that way for statistics. So I don't really have anything. Yeah, this is mainly on the credibility of the witnesses. So I Yeah, so as far as the mental illness goes, this is a challenging one because with MUFON's perspective, yes, we want someone to be sane. We want someone to not be mentally ill, but there are a lot of hidden mental illnesses and there's a lot of mental illness out there that doesn't really affect anyone. They can still be functional. Some people could consider anyone on the autistic uh, spectrum mentally ill. But if you look at it on the other side of things, it's gifted. It's a neurodivergent. It's a different way of thinking, mm-hmm. right? So is it really an illness? So for me, it doesn't matter if they're mentally ill. What matters is acknowledging that there is a mental illness at play and then determining whether or not the associations of the event has anything to do with that mental illness. It's the same thing with alcohol. Sure, they were drinking, or sure, they were having some marijuana or combination both. Maybe they did a line of a harder substance. But does that matter when they have a photo of something that's odd? So that's the way that people look at that. You know, it's not my perspective because I need to understand the normality of the human being, the crim. So this is where I have a background in criminology to understand why they are the way that they are, to understand why they have this experience, their background, their religion and all these other things. So I can understand why they believe this to be extraterrestrial. Yes, there's an object in the sky. You have evidence of it. You have this. But is that why do you think that's aliens when it could be a drone? And that's another example, too, just things that are otherwise critical credible people who misidentify starlink satellites or venus mm-hmm. right? and that's lack of an education and i had to learn i didn't know what starlink was until i saw a picture of it and then i had to do some research and find out that like yeah you know what this is what you saw this is starlink because we have data that shows when it's out there because we need to know that you gave me a piece of evidence of a photo that had a timestamp, you took daytime photos, you worked with me, you gave me all the things I needed to confirm that, you know, the date and time, and then I matched that to another system that already had data, and therefore this picture is Starlink. We don't have any of that stuff with all the other weird things, especially if there are secret government spacecraft or aircraft that's being used. Well, like, of course, we're going to see them. But we don't have any evidence of them existing, so we have nothing to compare them to. But we assume the technology comes from extraterrestrial and all an origin because there's a belief there. But it could just be smart humans becoming smarter and evolving over time. They might not actually be withholding information from us, or maybe they are and they're leaking it in certain ways because we behave a certain way. So there's some behavior issues that kind of go in with that. So the belief... 110%, everyone in there believes something happens. But my role in this is to identify what it actually is that is happening while acknowledging the belief. Another way to ask the question is, of the cases that you take on, what percentage have you been able to rule out for whatever reason? Yeah, so I was just kind of come to that. It's hard to come to a definitive identified, right? I'd have to see it. So it becomes an unbalance of probabilities. For me, my standard is, is if I can sell it back to the experiencer that it's probably a known object, then it becomes identified. If the experiencer challenges it and comes back and we have some belief, we need to do work on some things, blah, 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 it would be inconclusive. If I'm unable to figure out what it is, and the experiencer is unable to figure out what it is, 
And then I sent it to the people that I've met over the years that are able to weigh in on it. And we don't know what it is. Then it's unknown. But that just simply means that me and that group of people with the knowledge that we currently have don't know what it is. And these unknowns might eventually become knowns later on as I learn. Right. Like Starlink was an unknown for me for many, for a while. When I worked in MUFON, tons of reports came in for that until we figured out, until we got that first picture of what Starlink actually looked like. And then we're like, okay, these are all known. So I would say 95% of the cases that I investigate lead me to this probable or known conclusion <laughs> that it comes from us. The 5%, that might even be generous, are those cases where we're delving into the paranormal or the abduction, the ET, the beings. Because the way that they draw them, the way that they describe them, that's another thing too, is not, not everybody's able to take a photo, but if you spend time with them and you get them to draw, like please do sketch artists all the time when they don't have any pictures of the people. So the same concept is get these drawings and compare and contrast to other drawings all over the world. You start to see these similarities. And that's when we come back to the mental illness and, and the career choice and their status. There's a variance of that, but they're all seeing the same thing. And then I look at the method. Okay, well, they were seeing them while they were sleeping or they intentionally meditated and then they sell them. So people have different ways of getting to this space, which I call the ultra spectrum. And that's what I'm looking at to see what the pattern is, is how to create the ultimate experience. But at the same time, what makes up the ultimate experiencer? Because if the right person has the right intent with the right information, then contact should be able to be made in the right mindset, if it's possible. So this 5% comes from those rep tile-like beings, these cloaked beings, these shadow beings, these gray beings because a lot of people are seeing these and a lot of people are affected by these and then this paranormal side where we have mediums and some mediums actually can locate missing people or spirits that have passed on the police force have used that and in many situations we come into remote viewing remote viewing is a scientific way to explain paranormal mediumship essentially yeah, I, I literally just interviewed one of the only remote viewers in the Pentagon's program that was also a channeler. And she eventually used channeling. Her name's Angela Ford. So I think remote viewing is more of a way that the Stanford Research Institute was able to market it to mm -hmm. a military consumer that was concerned about Congress withdrawing funding and, and things like that. But I think remote viewing is just one of many other techniques of focusing one's abilities to gain insights from otherwise non-physical methods. The history of that is they had to know that it was possible. There's evidence of them testing the mind, breaking the mind, and doing all this other stuff back in the Cold War, all the wars, any of that stuff, depending on what topic you want to get into. But there's evidence of them from research from ancient times that it's possible and then they try it and they learn it and then all of a sudden they just stop talking about it because they want to have control of it but then 80 years past it's still happening now we know they're doing this remote viewing and we're supposed to trust that the government has people that have psychic abilities that are able to see into any place in time and it's supposed to trust that it's only being used for military purposes they could be looking in my room right now and and so those people even though they work for the government, have some sort of characteristic or genetic makeup that makes them like the experiencers that I'm working with on this level, the civilian level, if you will. And I don't have the privilege of studying 
military experiencers, but I, I would bet that all the data that I have on these experiencers would compare to them because they're a human being. Same blood type, same zodiac sign, same eye color, same background. Since there is a pattern of those who claim to have psychic ability. Yeah, let's let's actually go into that because that that's actually an intriguing statement. So, as you look at that five percent, uh, mm-hmm. and again, fully acknowledging that there may be a mundane explanation for some subset of those that we just don't know yet. Like uh, I'll have the Starlink example. Of that subset, what are some of the commonalities about those experiencers? So I have a four-year study that I'm working on. Two years have already been done. So I'm, I'm banking off of the data that I remember from two years ago that's already been tallied. But majority of the experiencers are female. Majority of the experiencers share the blood type AB, whether that's positive or negative, or A, which is interesting for me because a lot of people consider the O blood to be the alien blood. Oh, I thought O was just universal donor. It is universal for us, but I mean, there are some theories that RH negative is is extraterrestrial in origin, and specifically the O comes from Anunnaki and Sumerian way back in the day. So found it. Aren't most people O? I don't know. I have never looked into that. I think it's rare. Like I'm O. I'm an O positive. My wife is O negative. So she's the universal blood because she can give to everyone, but she needs only O negative to give to herself. Right. So I think it might be popular, but I mean, there's not enough, not enough O negatives. Depends. I don't know. I'm not a blood expert, but anyways. Okay. But so, AB, AB is yeah, AB, the A. The A and the AB. So I'm going to emphasis on the A. The A blood type seems to be a pattern with those who have these experiences. Contact age usually starts around seven, seven to eight, you know, and then there's evolution whenever they realize things like that. What else? The other pattern too seems to be blonde hair, blue eyes, seems to be a common trend. Now, this data is based on my opinion on whether or not these people have the ability to actually do what they claim. So there's a lot of extensive investigation work where I pretty well have ruled everything out as a possibility. The things that they're doing with it could be coincidental or circumstantial, but there's some supporting evidence to suggest that maybe it came from a divine source because there's other witness testimonies that have lack of evidence. Plus I have some particular interest in understanding that. So when I group them in these categories, just basically a best guess. But now that I have two more years and I'm going to add to the study and put that out in my, I haven't made that report public yet. I'm hoping to fine tune that. And then once I fine tune that, the next stage would be to group these people together and actually see if they can manipulate these things in the way that they do it. Because the other variance that I'm seeing between not just the the race, the eye color, so the, the genetic structure, basically, the, the variance is the method. So I'm also learning that, yeah, okay, this experiencer type, we'll put them in this group that has all this criteria within that subset some people meditate and they make contact. Some people use a CE5 and they contact. Some people do a seance and they contact. Some people use different types of methods to control their mind, to use their mind to go and do these things. So these are different types of tools that are used to get to this same place. 
and some work for others, some don't work for others. But what's interesting is that these people use different methods, but they're seeing or describing very similar things. They're all seeing these when they do these things. They're seeing these beings. They're seeing these spaceships. They're seeing these things that they shouldn't be seeing. Now, how much of that is imagination? How much of that is fact and reality? When you have that group, right, you can do that compare and contrast. And then you can ask yourself, like, how likely is these people able to describe or see the same thing in this way? Because with uh, I do my investigative process with them individually. I know they're not connected with each other because I protect their information for confidentiality reasons. But when I have all this information and this data together, I see that pattern and you start to believe it being something else. It's possible. But is it? in a dream state is it interdimensional is it that's a whole higher level of understanding where, where i'm hoping that once i get my research table where i'm able to scientifically prove it that some of these people are confident enough to come forward into the public sense so that way the scientists can actually study that and validate it right so a lot of my work is done in private because that trust is earned <laughs> But what what other commonalities do these folks tend to have? Trauma. Trauma throughout their lives seems to activate the psychic ability. I think it could possibly be a defense mechanism, you know, like Carrie's movie for telekinesis, right? She goes through trauma and then all of a sudden she develops these abilities and then there's a fear response and she's using it and she becomes this monster and blah, blah, blah. Well, you're familiar with Lynn Buchanan, right? I'm familiar with the name. He had a experience at NATO (laughs) in Augsburg, Germany, where they had a classified communications node, basically a skiff, right? Special compartmented information facility. And he had to give a presentation to a bunch of NATO generals. And one of his colleagues screwed him publicly, like made his presentation fail. And he got so angry that he took out all of the skiffs in Europe. And you know, nobody but him realized it, but it became classified for how long that communication system was down for. But he had had psychokinetic events throughout his childhood. In fact, subsequently after the Cold War, he learned that he'd also taken out all these similar facilities in the Soviet side of Germany. Uh-huh. So, you know, a lot of it's kind of uncontrollable. But to your point with trauma, right? Somebody made him really angry and it came out. So he has to be very careful with his anger. But subsequently, he, 20 years after the event, or 20, 25 years, he had a repressed memory of an abduction experience. So, anyway, just to validate what you're saying about these things. Interesting. And that's how it would link together. Not every case starts with contact, but also some people forget about their contact experience because they choose a life in paranormal because there's frustrations with this ufology movement as well. But yeah, linking it back to some connection. And that's where it can go back to God and go back to whatever, some divine source, something we were made in in our image or, or in our likeness and all those other things. We should be more powerful beings than what we're told to. And then you're going to get into the whole... 
that's the reason they don't allow us to do these things and suppression and control and all these other things. And those thoughts could be validated for that reason. But I mean, if they have control, uh, what control do we have? So my aim though, with I have this data is not really to push disclosure. It's just preparing for uh, a defense, I guess, if you will, or what happens after disclosure. I've been accused of doing this X-Men kind of Professor X approach where I'm looking for people who have abilities and trying to help them develop it and, and use it for good, or at least at the same time, understand it. Because there are a lot of people that are having experiences and are confused about it and don't realize that they're gifted or have this association with it. So an example with the poltergeist phenomenon, a lot of people do think that when these cupboards move and do all these other things that it, it's external, there is some divine force that is moving it. When I do some work and I do some background, maybe do some hypnotherapy or they speak to a psychologist, depending on the information that comes forward and the willingness of the experiencer to actually get into the bottom of it, because you got to get really personal in order to rule all, all these things out. We we learned a lot. We realized that a couple of days before there was some trauma. Someone died. They were upset. They were feeling this thing of woe, and then they were angry inside. And all of a sudden, boom, things started moving. But they think it's ghosts. And then when they turn that around and be like, hey, maybe it was me because I was having a day and you test it. And then when I tell people, well, hey, why don't you test it? I've had a small percentage of people respond back to me. I don't have any proof other than their belief, but they're like, hey, I intentionally tried to move something and I did. So whether that testimony is true and all these other things, I know in that moment I changed her thought process from being afraid of it, of the unknown and accepting it and then developing it to use it for good. Because with the psychic ability, if you're able to do so, and the government's using it to spy on us, why can't we use it to spy on them? You answered your own question. Yeah. Right? That's that's why this stuff is not encouraged. Because people are unpredictable, and there's so many things, and you have to ask the end game. And we don't know the end game for sure. Or we just choose not to believe it. Like we don't trust our governments with some things, but what can we trust our governments with? Can we trust nothing. them? With- Next question. <laughs> yeah, uh, enough for the last decade. Oh. After what we've learned about what's going on in Twitter, as an example, where yeah. you had the FBI and DHS directly banning accounts. I don't think anyone in the United States who's following any of this is going to trust our government for the next three generations. I have zero trust in our government. There are so many different social issues that are going on that need to be suppressed. That makes ufology and paranormal like the 1% of their problem. So there's a, a lot of need to regulate because we've had a lot of freedom and our population has grown so much that we're lacking resources and all these other things. So the evidence is there that something needs to be contained in order to survive. But they know the end game. We don't. So when all these things start to happen, creates this paranoia because maybe they have control. They know what's going on. They don't want to tell us. But yet we're evolving. We're getting smarter. We're understanding and we're revolting. 
But at the same time, we don't understand. Take PTSD, for example, with uh, a lot of veterans and things like that. A lot of people, myself included, I didn't know I had PTSD until someone told me I did. But I had to go through a whole bunch of thought processes of this stuff ain't right. And this is this, this and blah, 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 before I realized that I had this. And when I had this and I started working on it, same thing with the psychic abilities. You might be living with these psychic abilities that were created by the government back in the day as an experiment or alien influence and then all of a sudden they don't know how to live and then now we're getting into more acceptance of this neurodivergent spectrum and stuff and accepting that it's just a different way of thinking but that could be the paranormal not being paranormal anymore that just be this new age of evolution now is this evolution organic based on how we were created from monkeys or is this evolution based on the extraterrestrial influence way back in uh, or it might not be evolution it just it might be the rediscovery of abilities that have been suppressed for thousands of years and, and that's why i think it's so dangerous that the government is not having a dialogue because people are fed up and they're starting to do some of this stuff on their own and here's the thing you hear all these things about positive intent and things like that in i'm assuming in in many of your experience or interviews potentially but Without the information, we don't know. We could be knocking on doors that we don't want opened. Okay. And if the government doesn't provide any guidance or you know come out with something, see, there's possible scenarios with that. I've also often asked that too. Either a they're familiar with it and they're just hoping that we don't like the Tower of Babel scenario. We don't build another tower that they have to destroy and separate us again, or they don't know what it is and they have no control of it. But in order to keep control of us, they need us to at least believe that they're useful. I think that's the most likely scenario, by the way, but keep going. Yeah. yeah. Or they're waiting for us to evolve. So there's more of us than them. So then we take it back. So, and that is something that they can encourage. It might be something that they want, but it has to happen. And that's why we get these. Yeah. These- or it could be darker than that. It could be that it's a, multi-generational invasion and they're trying to replace proto homo sapiens with a hybrid species again i don't there's, believe there's gonna that. Have, there would have to be a subset government that's where the idea of the deep state or the dark government shadow governments all these ideas of a government controlling the government might not even be another government it could be extraterrestrials but if the extraterrestrials could be good and bad. And then you get into that mix of good ones interfering because then you got angels and demons, which aren't, it could be just good aliens and bad aliens or uh, an alien. Or they could be angels and demons, right? Right. In in other words, a good choice or a bad choice. What's the difference? Just like by aliens and demons, I'm not saying in terms of like spirituality, it could just be another word for an interdimensional entity, right? I don't know. Obviously have a lot of questions, but I'm willing to listen to, what people experience. So, so when you're talking to experiencers, do they universally tend to attribute positive intent to the entities that they encounter? Or is it a mix? Yeah. So intent is a good word to use because that's a lot of the things too, especially with the being observed phenomenon. Here's the scene. You're by yourself. You're alone. Doors are locked. You wake up. There's an extraterrestrial standing at the edge of your bed. That induces fear. You think you're sleeping. You're afraid. You have these thoughts because it's weird. There's a risk 
there, but that being's not doing anything. So we don't actually have the intent of the reason for that being being there, but it's scary. So the experiencer associates these negative thoughts because there's questions that are unanswered and they believe that they saw something. And that's just simply that. But do we know if the (laughs) being even sees you or knows that you're there? So when we get intent is when we get into this abduction part where there was an intent, you see it, then something happens, residual evidence, something's left behind. That's human characteristics as well. So that could be a human. And another thing with intent, if you take a seance, for an example, we're intentionally trying to create a rift into this dimension to the other dimension or whatever to make contact. What does that look like on the other side to them? That could be poltergeist activity to them, right? And how do we know if that's actually in another place or just another place on earth. So when we look at meditation as an element here, I use this as an example. I'm someone who identifies as uh, a light worker and what I wanna do daily is meditate and send out positive words. So I do that. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, somewhere else on the other side of the world, someone is ending their day and they're about to pray at the end of their bed and they're asking God for the answers. The same time, simultaneously, I'm putting positive thoughts out there. They're opening their mind up to receive and they receive answers. It's just as possible as they receive my positive intention from the space in time to give them the answers. And then they go on and do their day, but they believe it to be God because they asked for it and they got a response simultaneously. So in order to... And and that could be your higher self. It could be... It could be any... It could be some entity outside of yourself who knows and if we focus more on us being those beings and and accepting the fact that we have the ability to do more then we can evolve and move into this next direction so that's when we come back to the intent do they suppress this information so we could figure it out on our own or are we starting to figure it out on our own and now they want to have control of that because they've left us alone for too long? Another way to set that example is my analysis of this whole ufology movement in the United States right now. So following this for as long as I have and understanding how the government is a business with these Tic Tac videos, whether they're uh, UFO or the Nimitz, any of those significant counters, whether those are bona fide extraterrestrial crafts or secret technology, whatever that explanation is, doesn't or change. Some, or some rare natural phenomena that we don't understand. Right. right. And I'm not we, saying it's that, but. No, but if we focus on how it came to surface. So it was classified information that was recorded, that was meant to be protected, and that got leaked, that was given. Someone broke chain of command, did something illegal, got it out to the public. Then it came to the public. Then it went to the paper. The paper got their hands on it. Then it went over. People made all their money about it and then created a big noise and a big buzz on the president of the United States at the time. So it's like we got all these things. We got war in Ukraine. We got this. We got all this other stuff going on. And now we got to deal with you foes, right? So the human element in that is like, well, we need to nip that in the bud. So what do we do? Well, let's, what do they want? Let's regulate it. Let's create a division in which we can funnel all this stuff in here, not to help the people, but to just to make sure that this 
leak of information doesn't happen again. Because what if that was a private technology used to defend against war? And all of a sudden our adversaries are aware of that. There's a need to protect these secrets. There's absolutely a need to do that. But what has happened is is a, a human being at some point decided to say, screw this, I'm releasing this for profit. And profit is gained. And now there's this God complex that's kind of out there, a Messiah, if you will. It could be right, but also could be wrong. And because there's so many people with this belief, thinking and associating this evidence as being this because of all this other mess that's happening. But meanwhile, and we've talked about this before we started the interview, is it's not likely that the government is going to give us the answers, but what they're doing is they're controlling the information so that way this mess never happens again. And if they're going to control this, then that must mean they have control of the, the narrative, which means they either own it or they're working in tandem with the people that do. And they're now aware that they need to test their stuff somewhere else away from us so we don't see it. And if yeah, that we're, happens, in, we're in an extreme scenario, they're working with the entities. Yeah, but as if it's entities, but it's more probable and more likely that it's a human problem because we know that the government keeps secrets. They have to keep secrets. It's why they keep secrets is important to me. If they have UFO technology and secret stuff out there so they can defend us against super beings that are on the other side of the earth or other places that are there or out in the universe, wherever you want to be. I'm okay with that. I don't need to know the makeup, the engineering, all that other stuff around it. I just like to know that there's a defense for that. And thank you for saving us. Yeah, but I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt you could have a program that extensive and it not. Well, the other scenario is, is that they don't have control of it. They reverse engineered it. They're trying to prepare for something that they know is coming back. And then we're going to have a war and alien invasion or whatever you want to call it. And then we'll, the truth will come out at that point. But at the same time, they have to know that it's coming and they would need to prepare for it. But we would also have to be purposeful. Otherwise, they just let them harvest us and take us and do all these wild things that we think that we're slaves for. So there is a need for us. But what are we funding? What are we working for? You know, get into the pandemic, you start to realize what an essential service is. And those are the fundamental businesses that are needed to keep the war going <laughs> to, to get, you know, minerals and all these other things to keep certain things going. So there is an end game and there is a certain minimum criteria that was kind of exposed through all of this to show what was really important when shit hits the fan and none of this paranormal and artsy fartsy creative stuff is essential to sustaining life so the problem that we have there is there's a lot of us like that that want to spread the life because in order to work for the government there's a lot of trauma there's a lot of pain there's a lot of suffering because we don't know what we're doing it for because we're trying to take care of each other at our homes we have these own little universes and so the spiritual side of things could be the balance. But if there is a war between extraterrestrials and us, then there would be good ones and bad ones. So perhaps the good ones are the ones that are, are putting these positive thoughts or enhancing these abilities to pre prepare the human beings to defend against this. We got to have a defense. This is Earth, and if Earth is important and there's other planets out there and someone wants to come here and attack the planet, we're all euchred. That would make sense. But again, theory, it's all theory because the government's not giving us answers. And here's the other thing, too, is there's a lot that comes with that. 
to say that these unidentified flying objects that you've seen in these videos have extraterrestrial origins. Many people will imply that ghosts exist, Bigfoot exists, the earth could be flat, like all these different things that they think all of a sudden become real because they say that one exists. So in order for the government to explain that UFOs exist, they have to explain how all of these other ones don't exist or do exist as well. So it's more probable that the government is not going to do anything, not because it doesn't exist, it's because there's more important things to worry about. And because there's more important things to worry about, then the threat should be low, unless the government is intending to harm us. And there's nothing we can do about it because we're stuck. No, that's never happened in history. Well, no, it's always happened, you know. <laughs> exactly. But exactly. I mean, is that just humans fighting humans? Like the aliens existed. Where are they now? Are they in control? Like there's so many things. So I investigate all phenomenons for context to find the truth or what's likely to be true in all of it and try to bring it together. And that's why I always land in this human faction now what's the most common entity that has been reported or what are the most common i'm in this phase where i'm trying to eliminate the current labels so i say beings observes or entities but the common archetype would be the gray alien the reptilians there are still these nordic type beings and that's an interesting being that means to just come from the north and we don't have access to the north pole as much as we don't have access to antarctica but then that's another rabbit hole to go down but if these nordic beings reside up there these are just different races from different places the shadow figures are common the red eyes tend to be a common trait there's these cloaks that i think that are interesting and these cloaks I'm fascinated with because I see a reptilian type being with wearing a black cloak i see a gray wearing a black cloak i see a shadow figure with a humanoid hand wearing a black cloak so there seems to be some sort of cloaking uniform or mechanism that's used as perhaps a device it could be the invisibility cloak from harry potter you know <laughs> like something like to that effect so i look for characteristics like that but yeah i'm seeing every single being but the problem is that, is that what they're really seeing or that's what they think they're seeing because of propaganda and, and television and movies and all those elements. Yeah, that, that's the next question I was going to say, because you said that they don't know each other. They're, or at least in your studies, they haven't spoken mm -hmm. to each other. But there are common archetypes in popular culture that mm -hmm. constantly appear. Have you gotten any reports of something that wasn't in any of those archetypes? There's black-eyed children. That's, just, again, an archetype, but that's just a humanoid with very black eyes that could be a hybrid of the greys and humans or whatever. You get the UFOs and the UAPs, the paranormal orb. I call it aerial activity. So it's a, a sub-level of either machine or a light, because depending on what, because these lights could be machines. You only see the lights. So those are unidentified flying objects. But to categorize those, what's common is an orange orb, so that the orange orb seems to be common so whether that is white light with a red filter or something on a craft that you can't see with cloaking technology or three individual orbs moving around like we don't know but these are coming from experiential reports not knowing whether or not they actually saw what they saw and where it gets interesting for me is when other people are reporting the same thing right so that compare and contrast is personal to me but I'm hoping to develop a report where I'm able to at least 
show that so other people can compare their work to it too. That makes sense. We'll come to the same conclusions because I know we know it's all connected, but these archetypes are, are interesting. So the paranormal orb, for an example, that's a light in the sky. So that could be UFO. That could be ghosts. Depend on your belief. So I created what's called the Ultra Spectrum Classification System, which is a advanced version of the Hynek and Valet Classification Scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent some time with uh, with Paul Hynek, Hynek's son, went over it and whatnot, got his blessings to try and do something with this, and I gave respect to his father. A lot of things have changed over the years, and I want to encourage a, a new system. So with that system... I have that aerial activity, but a sensory display is the first group. And that sensory display takes in consideration of those who can take photographs, but those who also see it in their mind. So amongst the variances of that with aerial activity, whether you believe it to be paranormal or extraterrestrial, we would have to agree that it's in the sky. So that that's where it is. It's activity. It's aerial. It fits the characteristics of a machine or it fits the characteristics of the light. So characteristics of the light usually is the absence of evidence of it being a machine, or it could be a standalone light based on the belief. We don't know that until we look at the evidence that comes in. So they could be secret space programs. They could be drones. They could be airplanes. It could be all of the above, but yet technically they're classified as an unidentified flying object or a UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon. And we have this mysticism associated with these labels. So by removing those labels, then my hope is to get all these, look at all these machines and look at all these lights and see how they compare to each other. Do some of these lights match some of these machines and then be able to figure the context of that. So with us communicating differently, the language is different. We we have all these judgments and all these associations, but when you remove all the fluff and you break it all down, again, there's human origin. And so these beings, in the same respect, we have to throw time in the equation. We don't know if they coexist or if they're from the past or they're from the future. That's the single best argument for why the government would keep it quiet, mm-hmm. is if they're from the future and they're trying to avert which means they know tests and there's a reason for so the people that have control aren't here the people who have control are from the future also maybe it will screw things up and divert the timeline in a catastrophic way if too many people know i don't know they're all theories until we as a general public know about it but someone has to know about it they may not be theory to the government they may be fact so if we believe these theories to be true then yeah time travel exists yes we're in a domed earth and we're controlled and yes there's species from other lands and, and there's bigfoot on certain places and all these things would have to exist but when and where the why and the how is what everyone's been fighting for for all these years. But it's the where and the when that I think we need to figure out. Speaking of the when, in the investigations that you've done, is there a particular time of year or time of day when these sightings are most prevalent? I do. These experiences? I do measure that. I don't have it off the top of my head. But the paranormal side, typically in the night and the UFO stuff, I investigate the UFOs two different ways. I investigate the civilian daily occurrence reports from uh, our Transport Canada. So I I do government uh, and aircraft sightings that get reported and I do freedom of information requests for that. So those UFO sightings from pilots typically happen more in the day. 
But the UFO sightings that come from the civilians typically are during the night. And I think with the mask of night, that makes it really hard to consider satellites or to consider planes and all these other things because you just see the light moving around and you can't see anything else. So these daytime sightings also are interesting with these pilot reported crafts could be drones, but some of these descriptions on a military report that I have on Canadian Forces Base Moose Jaw, they described an orange ball of light over a military base, but that was at nighttime as well. But when they see these daytime sightings with balls of light, interesting, because if it was a machine, you would see the machine as well as the balls of light. We need more daytime sightings. We're usually distracted socially throughout the day. We're looking down. We're not focusing, right? Then we finish our day job. We go home and relax. The sun sets. And then we go and take the dog for a walk or we go and have our smokes. And then we look up and then we see these things. That's the typical pattern or the journey of an experiencer before they make a report, right? Not studying, unless you're an astronaut or a scientist in, in space, astronomy or whatever, you're not, you're not going to be able to tell all that other stuff. But again, the pilots that are reporting on the government side, but through Transport Canada, so the more commercial side, but during the day and the reporting lights at high altitudes and speeds, not on radar. So those types of things, I have declassified documents for and I put them on my website on this timeline and database that I've started to create. But what I find fascinating about that and different types of evidence is we have a government source that does an investigation that responds to a light in the sky. And then we have these civilian reports seeing said lights in the sky. And then when I put them on my map um, on the website, so the website is experienceyoursupport.org. You can just look at the visual evidence database. So that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, the link will be in the description. Okay, perfect. So if you find Moose Jaw and the Canadian Forces Base, you'll see a picture of the declassified report. So that is a government source, military police witnessing a UFO. But the evidence themselves, there's not enough evidence to determine whether or not it's a known object. It's just a credible source at a government facility having this in the 60s. Then if you follow that path down, there's a road or river or whatnot, and then you'll come to another marker, which is close to the proximity of the civilian experiencer, 2016, drawing what appears to be what they described in that document. So that document, two separate cases, two separate times, but close in proximity. So no, we don't have an image from the government. And no, we don't have a declassified document from the civilian. And correlation doesn't mean causation. But if I get more of the theory is if I start to map it out this way through time, proximity, and different types of evidence, the evidence will stack. Then all of a sudden we get a picture from another government source nearby that is associated to this declassified document. And then two kilometers down the road, there's a civilian reporting what appears to be the same thing. Then all of a sudden we can confirm that there is something going on in that area. But the people that are going to give us that answer would be the government. And then by tipping off the government that, hey, I'm aware of this is kind of dangerous too, because you're letting them know that you saw their secret object floating around and doing whatever. And then all of a sudden they're going to do whatever protocol that they need to do to silence it. That's when then after that, you get the men in black, you get the government, you get all these other things. So a lot of people have these experiences at different types of their life, but they never report 
when it happens. And what I'm learning too with these experiences, lifelong experiences, they report the most significant one based on marketing or whatever they find or whatever interests them, whatever pops in their head. But it's when we get deep down into all these experiences and if they're willing to, not every experience is willing to answer all these questions because it takes forever and forever and forever to go through. But the timeline, you start to see, I didn't realize that when I was a kid, when I had this UFO experience. And then when I was seven, I saw this being. And then when I was 13, I had this paranormal experience. And then when I was 27, I uh, I told this government friend of mine about my experiences. And then when I was 31, I started having people following me around that looked like men in black. And then you know, all of a sudden I'm being followed and watched. And then I wake up with these abduction things. And then I see these people more. So if you've timelined their life, it will make sense. But when they report, they don't consider all these things connected. And that's because from birth, paranormal and UFO have been separated. And all these conspiracies are separated. And when I bring them all back together, it makes sense. But it all links back to the government. That theory is whether or not the government is aware of that or I figured out the code that understands why the present human being has been manipulated over these years and has been doctrinated to think this. And this all could also be a distraction from the actual reality, which could be even deeper than what we're talking about. Might not be ghosts, might not be aliens, it could be something else. You know what I mean? Now, what if somebody has an experience? How do they contact you and how can you help them? So if you have any experience, if you can do paracryptids, so beings like Bigfoot or Mothman or Dogman, I'm interested in those because there's location data for that as well. The best place to go is www.experiencersupport.org. At the top corner, there'll be a purple little bar that says submit a report. You can uh, click that, read the little blurb there uh, and answer the questions. There's three types of reports you can make. You can make one about your experience. So that way my team can investigate it. Or if you've already investigated it and you have evidence and you would like us to review it, then you can submit it that way and then we'll work together and I'll ask you some questions to make sure it's the best evidence or something wasn't missed, just taking into consideration my background as a trained investigator. So give the opportunities for the amateur investigators to present evidence and then make that better. And then the third one is crime. So if you report anonymously, of course, and that goes directly to my private investigation company, whereas you feel that you're a victim of maybe charlatism or abuse, or maybe you had hypnosis. So once the reports come in on the investigative side, I'll triage it. If I see any signs of trauma or any reports that are needed, because there's questions that, that kind of go through there as a trauma assessment, I'll then refer you to some resources that are private because we have private people that work, but they can't come public because they don't want to lose their jobs. There's another thing called Experiencers Anonymous, which is a, a virtual group that we do that's anyone can pop in because with, with Zoom, you can change your name. You can be off camera. You don't have to do anything to identify yourself. Mm -hmm. You can sit and listen, get it off your chest. And then there's workshops that we're working on too. So you can start there. You don't need to make a report right away to get access to the resources. On our website, there's Experiencer Bar that will say Experiencer Resources will kind of help you live with some of these experiences too. When you make a report, I, I prefer it after you've like gone through some treatment or some steps to validate that it's not something out of the ordinary. And then you kind of activate me when you're stuck.
because I spent a career with MUFON teaching people what the little purple light is or blue light is that's moving around when you're taking a photograph of the moon or the sun, which is just a light refraction. So I just want to emphasize, report to me, but report to me when you got something or you don't know, and then I'll teach you. It's fine too. All right, Ryan. Well, it was definitely a pleasure and I look forward to many future discussions. Thank you. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe and I'll see you next time.